Welcome to Happy Poly Days, a series of intimate conversations about polyamory, sexuality, identity and relationships, hosted by me, Leanne Yao of the Polyphilia blog. Hello everyone and welcome to day eight of the Happy Poly Day series. Today I'm joined by Albert, um, who is a polyamorous content creator going by the username PolymanAnswers. Um, and today we're going to be talking about flirting as neurodivergent people. Um, I'm autistic and they're ADHD. Um, so um, Albert, can you tell us more about uh, your page and what you do on it? Yeah, uh, it mostly started as a joke because a lot of my friends just still saw me as the person to ask about polyamory and um, and so I started it just to have a place to dump just a lot of the stories and a lot of the things that I've learned in all these experiences um but it, it sort of got really serious and so I was just like people are actually tuning into this this is actually important information that people want to hear and so I, I started to get a little more serious with it um so it's just from a lens of someone who's been practicing polyamory for about five years uh mm-hmm. it's just my experiences it's basically like my diary um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't have any uh, background in like psychology or uh, coaching or anything. Uh, yeah. It's just my yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like my mine was much the same. Started as a joke with encouragement from friends, then just kind of uh, yeah, like people started tuning in, and I was like, okay, let's do this then. <laughs> um, and I've been I've been practicing polyamory for about as long as you have, so also about five years, six years. Um, but um, but yeah, so you know, related to that, since kind of your page is like a, almost like a diary, like a blog, you know. Um, how did you how did you get into polyamory? Kind of what was your what is it, what was your origin story? Like how did you come across it? How did you know? Kind of what's what what's your what's it been like? What what have your experiences been like? So I was in a eight year uh, monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. uh, a very just kind of escalator, a relationship escalator, kind of just going through the motions and not really growing, not really uh, addressing the issues that we were having. And so towards the end of it, we're like, didn't want to break up, but we also wanted to see other people. And so I had stumbled upon it, stumbled upon polyamory in a few articles and a few things on the internet. And I just, I asked, hey, why don't we try this? Because like, we want to date other people, but we don't want to break up. it was a terrible idea. We, we didn't know what we were doing uh, <laughs> very, very badly. We hurt a lot of people in the process, including ourselves. Um, but what happened is it gave me, gave me the mindset. Like, if this is something that I actually want to go into, then I'm gonna actually have to do the research. I have to do the work for myself to actually dive into this in a real way. Uh, and along that journey, I met people who gave me bits and pieces here and there. So I dated different polyamorous people and I became very open about it. And so I drew polyamorous people to me. And so mm-hmm. the more I learned, just the better I got at it. And mm-hmm. it just, it's the default for me now. Okay. All right. Um, and um, may I ask kind of what were the kind of mistakes that you made like early on your polyamorous journey? I think like this is something that, you know, like I think people, it's as content creators, it's very easy for people to pedestalize us and forget that like we are human beings who make mistakes very often. And if you, so if you don't mind sharing, you know, I'd like to hear kind of, you know, what were your early struggles and kind of what were your early uh, kind of like faux pas, I guess, in practicing um, polyamory? Um, It was very much, I I wanted to hear about all of uh, my partners at the times, uh, their exploits. Like I wanted to hear all the details. I wanted to get to know the people that she was dating. Um, but she didn't want to meet anyone I was dating. Mm, and mm. so there was just like this mismatch of like, it's not as if I wanted her to be best friends with them or like I wanted her to be in a relationship with them, but that caused a lot of tension in our relationship because she she just had all these stories in her head about what was going on. And like, just if I was out on a date, she would just be all over the place uh, as to like where I was doing, where I was going. and. Mm. We didn't have very clear defined boundaries um, and like what we should tell each other in terms of mm. like sexual health, in terms of just being being in public and people seeing us. Uh, mm. What do you say when someone says, hey, I saw Albert with somebody else, you know, those kinds of things. And I feel like those are things that you need to talk about before you open and just jump into a polyamorous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it... I like to say, I like to say I'm not a jealous, or I did like to say, I'm not a jealous person. Like at the beginning, I was like, I want to get into polyamory because I don't get jealous. I actually uh, get happiness with seeing my partner with somebody else. But there was a lot, a lot of programming that I just like repressed. Mm. A lot of male jealousy and like burying my chest and like uh, uh, 
property, like feel like women are a property, sort of that kind of program that really mm-hmm. came to the surface when I saw mm-hmm. her with other men specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We definitely had a one penis policy at that time, at, at some point in our relationship. It just came from just what naturally feels like to be a man in a relationship. And so mm-hmm. these are things that you need to address before you jump into a relationship in that way. Yeah, uh, I think like one penis policy is always like super common, you know, regressively. And I think uh, there isn't enough, you know, I think people are drawing more attention to it these days, uh, talking about kind of how pro- problematic it is. But I rarely kind of hear it from the other side of, you know, like the man who like imposes like the one penis policy and how you kind of work your way like out of that. So, you know, like what work did you have to do to like unlearn these things? Because I think, um, you know, I get a lot of clients where, you know, men come to me going like, you know, I have a one penis policy, but I really don't want to. But I don't know how to like get myself out of this. So um yeah kind of what was your process it involved a lot of just asking where it came from Um, okay I grew up in a uh so I'm Hmong and in our culture uh you can marry multiple wives Mm. uh and it was very much seen as like trading property like you paid for your wives and you could have as many as you wanted depending on how much money you had so Mm. I actually grew up in a household with with two two moms and they were both my moms like I had a biological one but they were both my moms I had to treat them as such Mm -hmm. Um, and so I already had this idea of what the relationship between what a man and what a woman is and I sort of brought that into every single relationship that I had when it had to do with a man and a woman and Mm -hmm. so it was very much like they were my property I didn't pay for them the way that you know our culture did but it just in in my teenage years I was like I I want to steer so far away from that as much as I want as I can like mm. I don't want to do anything like my family like my culture but it ended up in the same mentality and so accepting it sitting with it asking where it's coming from and mm. just processing it like what's actually wrong with it why do I feel like I feel like I deserve to own a woman like mm. when you really get down to it like it doesn't make a lot of sense once you break it down into its individual pieces and so it's yeah. a lot of inner work and just asking why. It seems obvious now when I'm not in that state, but when I'm in that mad, jealous state, it all makes sense. It's like mm-hmm. you go back to your old programming in those states. Mm-hmm. So what was it like kind of growing up in, you know, with, with I guess, like three parents? Was it, was it three parents, like two moms and a dad? There was just a constant drama, like in the household. There was really? Just, like, yeah, like both moms would cook. And okay. sort of like, this is one example, they would both put their dish on the table and they would sort of stare to see which kids were, were eating which ones, you know, there was just sort of this like manipulative game being played at all times where it's like, all right, I got these kids and these kids are on my side. Uh, and my dad sort of like quashed that as much as he could, but you know, he wasn't always around. And, you know, that's not the healthy way to get rid of that sort of behavior either. You don't just say stop, you know, you have mm-hmm. to ask where that kind of behavior comes from. But there was mm-hmm. always a fight for who's in the pecking order. And it sort of went back and forth all the time. Right. And, and it sort of showed us as children, there was eight kids in the house. It showed us, us as children that we had to do that as children as well. And so it was very, not, not a very consistent place to grow up. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so, so I guess like, you know, your two moms were, I suppose, like metamors to each other, right? And like, they very much kind of were very competitive and kind of didn't get along in that sense and didn't see it as, I think like um one thing that, um, I think is really important to break down in kind of polyamorous dynamics or non-monogamous dynamics or polygamous dynamics, I guess, you know, in that situation, like, is to to move from competition to collaboration, right? Right. Um, so instead of kind of going like, oh, you know, like, which dish are, like, are the kids going to like more? Um, you know, which dish is, is going to be kind of more impressive, right? Like, yep. whose kind of attention can I get more of? Um, you know, kind of recognizing that, like, everyone is on the same team um, and like, you know, you're all developing like a home together, right? And like a family together um, is definitely gonna, you know, like help like help with that, right? It's gonna, it's, otherwise you're just kind of being really calculating and, yeah. um, and and petty like all the time. But yeah, like, no, that's, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. Like, I didn't know that about you. And like, um, mm. uh, and yeah, like that, that's really cool. Um, I think uh, a lot of people have this sort of uh, concept of a pipeline, like, like I grew up in a polygamous uh, household, so that brought me to polyamory myself, but it sort of did the opposite effect where it was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to get, I don't want to marry someone against their will because that's what happened with my moms, right? right? They went there by choice. And so it's sort of like, 
I got to see all the wrong things models in my head so I could sort of do it the right way, which is like, I want to get into really, a multiple relationships, relationships with people who want to be in a relationship with me. And so the cooperative, the, co the cooperation comes naturally or we at least want to get there. Yeah. yeah. We weren't there against their will. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I, I think, you know, it's also important for, um, like something I also say a lot is it's very important to like find your anchoring reason for why you want to be in a non-monopolist dynamic right like if you're not there by choice like if you if you're like you know basically polyamorous like under duress um, then you know it, you're going to have a super tough time and it's going to be a tough time for the people around you as well because like you're not kind of honoring uh, like your own needs and boundaries right which sounds like kind of what was going on with uh, with your two moms they didn't sound kind of particularly kind of happy in that situation so you know we're trying to kind of like fight their way you know in the pecking order um, and so there there wasn't just like a, there were good parts of having two moms of course place, right? yeah yeah and then so it's sort of like it set me up in that way, I guess. Whereas, like, I want to have a big family, chosen family, and I yeah. want to do it the right way. And so, those things sort of pull me in that direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like, um, I, you know, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff um, is kind of like the you know, most prominent researcher on uh, like polyamorous families, particularly children who come from polyamorous families. And you know, I think like obviously like there are cons, right? But then I think like the pros are, uh, you know, you you have like more avenues like for support you know even if kind of like one parent isn't home like you kind of still have you know like more more people to get advice or opinions from and kind of uh more people to rely on and um you know assuming that like everyone gets along to kind of a cohesive you know dynamic like it can be like very very good so I I'm not a parent myself at least not yet <laughs> um uh but uh, but like you know I do intend to kind of continue practicing polyamory like when I'm having kids and, and that kind of thing because like mm. I do think that the priority shouldn't be like the number of parents or whatever but like you know whether you are kind of building like a healthy dynamic and kind of getting good, good examples like for children to follow in terms of like communication and um and trust and empathy and all that kind of stuff right um so let's get to the uh, topic of uh, today, which is uh, flirting while neurodivergent. Um, and, you know, I think this is quite like a good topic because there was a, a TikTok that came out um, quite reasonably recently. Um, mm -hmm. where basically like this, uh, this, this person was talking about how like polyamorous people like, flirt in a very unique way that's very direct, but also, you know, really kind of um, addresses, you know, like consent um and uh i think she was just doing it for fun um but it but it ended up massively blowing up and there was actually like a lot of controversy about it because um people were just going like well that's not polyamorous behavior that's just neurodivergent behavior and then people were going like <laughs> why are you talking shit about neurodivergent people and it was just it just became you know like the internet has absolutely no sense of nuance and like that person just got <laughs> like piled on um but you know that kind of uh, brought me to kind of reflect on being autistic and like kind of how I navigate like romantic relationships like as an autistic person right and this is not a this is this isn't like not an uncommon experience you know like there's a massive correlation between polyamorous people and the neurodivergent community like this like this has been a, like well demonstrated uh not by research yet but there is some research in the works that is kind of investigating that um and so, yeah, like, you know, what are your initial thoughts, I guess, like about like, um, like flirting and like as a neurodivergent people, like, what do you think, you know, kind of like sets, sets us apart from kind of the mainstream narrative of what flirting looks like? I saw that same TikTok you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I just, cause she said this, she said this phrase, she said that uh, they, they sound like they have no game. And I really, <laughs> really connected with that. Uh, because <laughs> gr growing up, I went to like, um, as a 16 year old me was was brought by my older brother to like this um, uh, what is it called like a convention like mm -hmm. a, a pickup artist convention like oh, I was taught okay. I was taught like techniques like to isolate like women and to sort of like prey on like their insecurities and like manipulate them in that way like as a 16 year old to be taught how to like this is the way to get women like it was very confusing to my neurodivergent brain because it was just like wait that's not right like that's incredibly hurtful that's incredibly manipulative like this doesn't make any sense like this is how I get someone in my life this is how I create a relationship with someone this is how I get like why would I want to treat the person I want to be in a relationship with in this way and so mm -hmm. it never connected the dots for me mm -hmm. 
And so when I did try these things in my later teens and my college years, sure, it got the results that I wanted, but like I got the results that the seminar was teaching, but it didn't get the results that I wanted, which was actually like meaningful and loving relationships. Yeah. And so it dawned on me to just try the opposite. It dawned on me to just say exactly how I feel. And it immediately showed results right after. Just being genuinely interested in what someone has to say and just who they are as a person and expressing that. Um, you know, fear of rejection is always going to be there. It's there for a reason. But to just go up to someone and say, I really like talking to you and I would like to talk to you more. I would like to get to know you more is the neurodivergent way of flirting in my mind. It's just yeah. to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Um, and yeah, like the, the um, like having kind of watched some videos of people kind of critiquing like pickup artist methods and that kind of stuff. Like, I think it's, you know, um, like it's manipulative um, and, you know, but it, 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 it does get kind of short-term results, you know, like you're, you're going to probably be able to, um, you know, work your way up in terms of numbers, right? You're going to be able to like get a lot of people, but, you know, are they going to stick around? You know, you might be able to kind of sleep with them one time, but like, are they going to, are they going to come back for a second date, third date, you know, for like a long-term relationship? Probably not, because if yeah. like the, the connection is built on like manipulation and deception, then that's not kind of the greatest foundation for like something long-term, right? So, um, yeah. Um, and another thing that like the TikTok addressed um, that I feel was like a really good point was, you know, um, there's often a lot of like sussing out the vibe, right? You kind of, yeah. you know, through, through like, uh, you know, you, 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 you look at someone, you bat your eyelashes or you, <laughs> you move your eyes a certain way or like you, you, you know, you, you like touch your hair, you know, like, a, yeah, um, yeah. and it's, uh, uh, and it's all, you know, it's, a, it's very much like a performance for me. Right. Um, but, uh you know and uh and then and then and then basically you know for for guys it's just you know like oh like you know watch watch for these cues and um you know like you just you just you just grab them make me sweep her off your feet whatever um and it's like whoa okay um you know like there and I've I've had guys try that on with me and sometimes it's just like it's been very sudden um because sometimes I could be touching my hair not because like I'm trying to like you know make a move but because like genuinely like a piece of hair is like fucking tickling my cheek and I need to like move it out of the way um and then a guy will like you know like you know like grab me by like the, like, the smaller back and kind of pull me in and go like hey <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> I'm like what <laughs> uh, and so um and you know like obviously you know when when you are into someone and then they do do that like yeah then 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 like it feels it it feels great it's very overwhelming and it's like you know you do feel swept off your feet but what if you're not you know that's the risk that you take right it's like okay yeah yeah, they could be really into it but they could also like want to punch you in the face you know yeah um and like that's that's like you know that that is really risky to me because you know why (laughs) would you like you know i i would rather just be direct and kind of have you know like a you know like a measured medium reaction rather than like either like or like <laughs> off, <you know? laughs> one, one thing that I notice a lot with yeah. like me myself being neurodivergent and with dating and flirting with other neurodivergent people is we have these things that we're very passionate about we have these mm. niches niches and these things that we can just rant about for like yes 15-20 minutes and I found that if you show someone that and, and another neurodivergent person is nearby. If you show like a group, this sort of like ranting, like board vomiting person where you're just like really into like plants or you're really into like photography or something like yeah. that. Those neurodivergent people will just like, it'll be a beacon for them. Like, they'll just fly <laughs> towards it. And you sort of make space yeah. for them to do the same thing. And so like, that is the, like the epitome of neurodivergent flirting in my mind is just to like hear something out the corner of your ear just like are you guys talking about this because I would like to like rant about this and then you can see it in their eyes like Mm. that they're attracted to this sort of thing that's something I notice a lot Mm -hmm. yeah like um yeah I I can completely relate to the kind of like word vomiting stuff and I definitely um you you know like when when I was smaller like I I would be really really bad at kind of uh being able to tell uh whether someone's just kind of nodding along um 
or if they were kind of genuinely invested right and like I read so many books on body language um and like something that I learned to tell like when someone had kind of genuinely like lost interest in my conversation is to look at their feet um yeah 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 you also read the same book by Jonah Barrow I'm assuming (laughs) (laughs) what everybody is saying by Jonah Barrow uh was a really really good book yeah like if, if they're facing if their feet are facing you then they're interested if they've got one foot going that way then like they want to leave. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, and, but yeah, like, you know, like uh, most of the time, like a lot of it like felt very uh, learned to me. Like I'm sure there were definitely some people who just naturally have game. Right. Mm. But, um, and like by game, like, I, 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 I mean, what do you mean by game? Right. Game is like, do, do you, do you measure game by like your, the techniques you use or by like the results you get, I suppose. Um, and it was just so foreign to me all the time and I was like I don't understand why I have to learn all these things and play all these games um right. when I could just not play the game and and be direct with people and you know cut the shit <laughs> like yeah um, I'm realizing I just realized just now that mm-hmm. like I actually learned a lot of that directness from the kink world actually really and I'm just putting I'm putting it together right now like going into a sex club and propositioning someone and just saying like I think you're really attractive if you would like to do a scene together, my name is Albert, like I'll be over here. I'm actually really connecting the dots. Like that's actually where I got that directness from. Because when I started to go to sex clubs and kink uh, gatherings, people were very direct and they were very consent-based in their conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I, sort of just, I think I just sort of applied that into just the real world and it sort of just worked and blossomed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, uh, uh, yeah, that that's that also lines up with my experiences. Right, I remember going to a sex party. Something as simple as a kiss. You know, I remember kind of watching uh, two people like in my kind of periphery, like engaging in conversation. And suddenly, one of them was like, um, "You know, I I would I, like I would like to kiss you. That is something that would bring you pleasure." Um, and then yeah. the other person was like, "That would bring me pleasure." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they <laughs> well, and, um, and that's that opens up the space for the person to say, "You know, actually, that would not bring me pleasure. I would not like to kiss too." Like, uh, yeah. And it all just plays into it. And I think that yeah. I think that's why I think I connected to that world so much because it was just like, "Wow, people are saying what they actually believe. I don't have to worry about some like crossing someone's boundaries accidentally." Yeah, it still happens, but like less likely for that. Yeah, like I think like the nuance there is like, you know, a, a lot of um like the this, you know, there's like kind of the rudimentary kind of like, like flirting, which is very much like, I'm gonna do this and guess uh we'll see if you like it. Um and then there's like the there's a the second level, it's like, can I do this thing to you? Right. Mm. Um and then there's like, would you like me to do this thing to you? Mm. Um and I think like that's like a step further along because I think by going like uh, there's a difference between going like I would like to kiss you and going I would like to kiss you that is something that would bring you pleasure because it's like okay yeah I do this I'm gonna do this to you are you gonna let me do this to you but like would you enjoy it you know yeah um is that something you want um and like is that something that you would um that yeah you would you would you would want and enjoy of course you know there are going to be some situations where I'm like you know I feel fairly ambivalent about something if someone doing something to me and like I, I'm going to be like I mean it doesn't do that much for me but like it uh but like if if like I I don't mind and like if kind of it it brings you like joy or whatever then cool right there are definitely situations where like that's fine but then I think um the the idea of like you know both people kind of getting something out of it rather than like one person just kind of doing stuff that would pleasure themselves um to someone else i think that's a nuance that often kind of gets missed um in these in these uh in these consent uh situations yeah um <clears throat> i don't frequent the dating apps but uh i think you talk about them do you, do you use dating apps yeah a lot yeah <laughs> okay so how how does the how do the openers or like the flirting work on there how does it translate when, when oh yeah for sure um so you know like obviously there are some guys who um or you know usually guys it's very real usually yeah. guys um yeah. who uh who kind of open and go like uh you know some, some of them compliment my photos right they're like oh you know the, I like I really like this photo and uh, in particular and here's the reason why or like oh where were you in this photo um I'd like to kind of hear more about that or they comment on something in my bio because I'll I'll like what I try to do right is I I give 
in my photos or in my bio, I create conversation starters. You know, I give like a lot of kind of hooks for people to grab onto and then they can ask me about because I don't want to just put like a bunch of photos of me looking hot and doing nothing. And then people are just going right. to be like, wow, you look good. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, like I, I want to make it, I want to make it, make it easy for both parties. Right. Mm. So uh, because like I, because if I just kind of put photos of me like looking good, then, you know, pe- that's going to, that's going to be all people have to go off of, right? They see a profile, they don't know me. They're just going to comment and then we'll have a boring conversation. Um, whereas if I talk about like, oh, you know, here's like me playing guitar, like here's me traveling, you know, then they'll then there'll be stuff to talk about, right? Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, people comment on my photos and stuff and then um, say, say some type of thing. We'll kind of have a little conversation about it. I'll probably do the same to their profile as well. Go like, oh, this is interesting. Um, you know, this, this made me laugh. This made me smile, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then at some point I'll be like, so you know, like how, how long have you been using this app or, uh, you know, how, like, what are you, what are you here for? You know, what are you looking for? Um, and that's usually easier on apps like field because like on field, there's like a specific bit where like you put down like your desires and your interests. So it's much easier to pick up on that and go like, Oh, I see in your profile, you said you wanted to, you know, looking for these things. Uh, that's something I'm, I'm interested in too, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, like, you know, I, there's there's uh, like there there isn't that much um to that or beyond that like i think in terms of kind of flirty moves right uh, like i i'm trying to remember like there was there was one person who like whose opening message to me like on field uh was something was something along the lines of like um you know i found your profile really intriguing for like these 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 reasons i think that we have these 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 things in common um and I was like, I would like to uh, like uh, take you out for a drink sometime uh, whenever you're ready. And then like a little rose emoji. Oh. Um, and I thought I thought like the whenever you're ready thing was a good addition because yeah, I got um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and I, I thought I thought that was good because you know sometimes. Um, um I think as a woman on dating apps it's very easy to get overwhelmed um and then you uh, like you know you get a lot of messages from people and you don't respond to them for ages and so the fact that he added like whenever you're ready meant that like I wouldn't I wouldn't kind of feel the embarrassment of like responding to him after like a week or two weeks um and going like oh my god sorry I didn't respond to you right away you know like he was like in your own time Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and like, yeah, and I thought that was quite clever. I told my anchor partner about it. My anchor partner was like, oh, damn, I'm going to use that line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm totally writing it down. Too. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, I, so, I so that friends, was good. Yeah, go on. I had some friends who have really good luck with like some men and women actually to, mm-hmm. um, to just be really emotionally like vulnerable in the first few messages, like find some way to get to emotional vulnerability really quickly. Like asked about attachment theory, asked about, uh, wow. mentioned, mentioned therapy in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, or like just to be honest, like, I don't know fully about this subject, but this is what I want to talk about. Uh, I, I found people say that that works for those are things that I do in real life, but it's like, it, it's somehow weird to translate it to a text-based like conversation. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it, um, you know, like I, I always say to people that it's, you know, at the end of the day, like if you're going to be building connections with people, like a lot of it's going to be in person. So like, I try to kind of move things to like in person as soon as possible. Like right. I have a little chat and as long as like, you know, someone can hold a conversation and isn't just going like, oh, you're hot. Like then, <laughs> then, um, then, you know, I'll probably want to move it to, to uh, something in person. Right. Like, and then I'll usually kind of arrange to meet up within, you know, maybe like 10 messages of like, of, of um, exchanges. Um, I like, I'm just like, I've just picked up my phone and I'm on field and I've just looked, looked up um, <laughs> kind of like what I, uh, the, uh, kind of what, what people have said to me. Um, yeah. And um, so let's see. Okay, so I connected with someone I messaged first. Um, and to be fair, not many women message first. Um, uh, this is just the thing on dating apps. I don't understand. Yeah, like, yeah. What, make, make the make the person. You don't have to just do it on Bumble. You don't have to just do do it. Like yeah. So I said, um, I said to him, your third photo is fire emoji. Love a man who leans into his feminine side. Um, heart emoji. Um, and he said, hey, thank you so much, heart emoji. You are gorgeous and super interesting. Haha. What is your meme page called? Um, because I said that I run a meme page. Um, yeah. and, I, and I gave him the thing. Uh, and then he asked me, how long have you been Bristol? Um, and I was like, uh, uh, you know, I told him, what about you? What kind of artist are you? Because like in his uh, profile, like he put that, like he was an artist and he had some kind of um, 
you know, like he- actor like headshots. So then I was like, oh, okay, so this person's probably like some kind of like theater person. Um, and then, you know, he uh, proceeded to send me like five messages about, you know, like what, like what he does and like where he, like what he's been, what he's been up to. And then um, um, like, yeah, like what he does for work. Uh, yeah. And then just like, a compl- he complimented my legs, like in my second photo. Um, and then, and so, so then it's like, okay, you know, it's peppering like conversation like about like yourself with like here like a compliment here and there and stuff and then so then we kind of start like engaging and opening up and I was like I sent him like a video like to something I did and then uh yeah and then after a while I was like um oh yeah like we started talking about theater we started talking about plays um and and things that we'd seen and things we really enjoyed and he said I wonder if there are any plays in Bristol soon you seem like a really good theater buddy and I was like I was literally just thinking the same thing can I have your number and he was like here you go and that was kind of how things kicked off uh, I'll use another example but yeah like you know like you, we bounce off things like from the profile right right so I match with uh, this guitarist and I said uh, and also he had like different colored hair like in different photos so then my, my first message was I'm curious what color is your hair currently also I do love a man who plays guitar um and, and then he said i'm currently blonde but my roots have started coming through and i'm very glad to hear that as i am indeed a man who plays guitar <laughs> <laughs> all right all right that game i would call that game uh yeah Ban- banter banter is very attractive yeah right? no i like you know it's just like ah <laughs> you made the job easy for me then <laughs> um yeah and then and then just kind of talking about like where, where we are in bristol and then i was like what are you looking to get out of field um, and then kind of, yeah, like we got kind of got straight to the point, um, he kind of told me, um, and then, and then I was like, um, uh, just by the way, like this app does get really buggy sometimes. So here's my number. Easy, easy times. Um, uh, the good thing about like a app like field where like sometimes a UI is not super reliable is that you can definitely use that as an excuse to just give them your number and then chat on WhatsApp. Ah, hey. <laughs> um, can I ask, uh, is there like big differences when you flirt like? with men or women oh um I think not really um like I, t- I I'm pretty like I don't want to say aggressive but I definitely take a like an active r- role rather than the passive one regardless of gender like you know the two mm. examples that I just gave you know like uh, they were just kind of two people I most recently messaged like on field and both of them I started the conversation um and I I recognize that this is not usual behavior for a woman um mm. i think that usually like women are difficult like they, they find it um difficult to start a conversation and i think partially it's because like a lot of men's profiles are like super bland um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but then there's also this sense of like oh you know if I'm, am i gonna like seem a certain way am i gonna put them off like if i if i message first and i'm like well fuck that shit you know if they're gonna be put off by me messaging first then like we shouldn't be talking right um mm. so you know put your best foot forward and all that like you know if you if you if if you want something go for it right like um which is why i think apps like bumble are really good um because i think it kind of um motivates women to take the initiative um but right. from but from what my anchor partner has said of his experiences using bumble uh, a lot of these women just do the cop out by going hey Hi. xx <laughs> um and then and then you've just thrown the ball like back into back for the other person um and it's like yeah hey or like how are you or like how's it going are like the worst the worst possible openers, you know, like for, for dating app, like people might disagree with me on this. Some people don't mind. Some people are like, oh, but for me, it's just like, you're being lazy. You're like throwing, you're throwing the ball in my direction to kind of move this conversation along. Like, no, start with something. <laughs> I've given you so much from my profile, use it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's, uh, my, that's my opinion anyway. Um, uh, but what I find in my, my life with people who are bisexual or pansexual, um, mm-hmm was that when they try to like they, they've, they've gone their whole life flirting like with men and then mm-hmm. when they like try to flirt with women they just like have no idea like what to do like what I found it was a yeah. very common thing no this right? is so this is so real because like I think as as two women there's like apart from like the anxiety there's there's three layers to this I think like women like a woman kind of flirting with other women firstly there's like the layer of um you know like societal expectations of like uh, you're basically caught in this catch 22 where like if you're super active and you look like a slut and you're super passive you look like a prude and then there's like mm. and so some people kind of get frozen because they're like well you know I'm fucked either way um, and then there's like the additional layer of like uh, not, particularly if you're a bisexual person or someone who's kind of engaged with 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 men in the past then you take you naturally kind of take a more passive role 
because um, that kind of the societal scripts that we've been taught, right? Um, and the only reason why I haven't mm. adhered to these societal scripts is because autism, hello. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, most, most people, like, they mold to that, right? They mold to these expectations, and so then they kind of wait for the other person to make the first move. And so obviously if you put two women together who are used to somewhat the other person making the first move, no one does anything. Um, and then um, and then the third layer as well, like that I've heard from queer women is that like they don't want to make women feel the way that they have felt from men. Oh, um, oh so God. then like they, they are worried that kind of any any move that they make that is like too like sexually aggressive, like will make the other person feel uncomfortable because they felt that way from men. But then I think they end up overcorrecting themselves and kind of interpreting like any kind of flirting move as like, sexual assault um yeah 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 yeah. and you know i think these that's real you know like the barriers are real so um so then like yeah like i i'm sometimes frustrated actually like when flirting with other bisexual women and i say bisexual women particularly um because in my personal experience and you know uh, people can definitely dispute me on this but uh you know like i've 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 been with a lot of women um and uh, I definitely think there is a difference between like flirting with women who are lesbians and women who are bisexual or have had mm. kind of prior experience dating men. Mm. Um, I think like uh, like lesbians because like they don't date men and don't have any kind of reason to take like a passive role in any kind of situation. Like they're much more brazen and much more direct. It's much much easier to kind of engage. But then I think like if you're dating like a, another bisexual woman. Um, because they're used to dating men. Most bisexual women have had experience dating men just because there are more women, men who are into women than women into right. women. Um, mm-hmm. And societal, het- like compulsory heterosexual, all, all that kind of stuff, right? So then like, I find myself very weirdly um, because I'm the one making all the moves and being like active, somehow being seen as the man in the relationship um like mm-hmm. I'll be dating kind of other like bisexual women and then they'll like take like a very like like femme personality that like wasn't there initially when I started talking to them until I started making the moves and then I'll be like I'm a woman you can you don't have to you know you don't have to you don't have to perform all this stuff for me like this is yeah. really strange this is really strange um and yeah like yeah so you know, gender dynamics are fucked man like <laughs> um it's- yeah. I have to say it's it's much easier like as a bisexual man to flirt with men. I have to say like at, at least from my experience because mm-hmm. I think it was modeled my entire life just like that locker room just like that comfortable with touch and yeah. just like very similar interests. You know like you've seen two two dudes bro out, right? Like it's, bro out. It's, it's it's very gay. It's it's very gay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't feel too many I, I've only been for I identified for a few months and so I'm only now going back to like all my experiences with men in that realm and it's just like wow like we were flirting in those scenarios it's just like it, it wasn't uh identified as that because we didn't want to be gay right that was a very negative thing growing up yeah but there were a, so many scenarios where mm-hmm. we were we were flirting man to man just can you can you give an example uh can you give an example yeah, of kind I, of yeah just like in in college like especially mm-hmm. when there was alcohol and drugs involved like mm-hmm. I had no issues like making out with a guy friend okay. and just like and, and it was just like oh we're drunk and we can blame it on like the alcohol or the drugs like it's not a big deal but like now that I'm thinking back on it no I don't think a heterosexual man would be okay even with alcohol or drugs would be okay with making out with another heterosexual man like mm. just how my brain processes it now, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that, I was attracted to that man and that man was attracted to me and that's how that was able to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like for sure. Like, I, I, you know, we see this with with <clears throat> with women as well, right? Like um, there's the kind of typical like, ha you know, I'm going to make, like make out with girls party, like <laughs> totally for my boyfriend's attention. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay, while like there are definitely straight women who do this, um, I, I think that like it's worth, kind of questioning kind of that kind of behavior because it's uh isn't yeah it's not not something that you see with like heterosexuals um and I say like, yeah. and uh, and it's 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 really funny because like my my anchor partner is straight 
regrettably no we we say we i joke all the time we we this is a joke between us like he he wishes he were into guys he says that like you know like i think you know dating um and you know just getting ass like would be so much easier if he was also into guys um and um and i like we always joke that like his heterosexuality is his greatest and only flaw um you know <laughs> which i think he takes as a compliment um yeah. and um um, and it's it's so funny because like I, I'll be asking him you know kind of like how or, like in where his boundaries are for like interactions with men and I'm like but you wouldn't even like want to kiss them and he was like no and I was like not even if like you know they were like really hot and he was like no and I was like but what's like, he'd be, like it's like and he's like it's like it'd be like like making out with a guy for me would be like the experience of making out with a brick wall like it doesn't mm. feel like anything and I was like that's such a wild concept I'll, to me <laughs> I'll, like, I'll give you I'll give you some hope because mm. I used to say things like that. Really? <laughs> not, not too long ago, I would say things like that because uh-huh. there's just this heavy, heavy mm. layer of programming that says if I was not straight, then I would get beat up or I would, would not be a part of society anymore in my growing up. And that still plays very loudly now. But mm-hmm. it's only with a lot of work to like really go into it. Like, why do I think that way? I used to say, that kissing a man would be like just kissing like uh, not a brick wall but I would say like uh it would just be like kissing like a, a child or something you know? so in that way there's no sexual connotation mm-hmm. at all right yeah uh, or, or like I would kiss my brother like in that way um and it's only very recently when I was just like wow wait hold on I've done so many things that a straight man would not do and then I was <laughs> like okay I'm, I'm so queer like I'm just, <laughs> and as soon as I just started saying it everyone I had two very, very uh, different reactions. I had the people mm. who were like, we're so proud of you. We love you. And then we had the, oh yeah, what else is new? Like we've been, no, we've known this entire time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, uh, but, but, you know, I think there's room for like healthy kind of experimentation and that kind of thing. Like I have a, I have a straight friend who uh, like has kind of explored stuff with, with guys and, you know, gone further than I think most straight guys would have gone. But then like he's tried it and he was like, you know what? I didn't enjoy it it was like meh um and so uh very happily identifies as straight and you know I think I respect I respect him more for that you know I respect like a straight person who has or a cis person you know who has like properly you know questioned and explored like the the like sexuality or gender identity and has come out the other side going like yeah you know I'm confident in my straight cis identity you know like I think these are uh, I, I I think um yeah like you know we shouldn't kind of just assume that everyone who has like tried like gay shit like in the past is definitely gay because I think that puts off That's people who too. like want to experiment yeah. um but yeah no I I also completely know what you mean <laughs> um <laughs> but but anyway yeah so um Albert I know that you've collated some questions like from your followers um kind mm. of related to like you know uh flirting or being a neurodivergent or like both right um or just kind of being neurodivergent um and polyamorous right mm. um and I think we de- we already kind of covered uh one of them which was kind of funny or wholesome stories while flirting, um, kind of white by yeah. dating apps, and we've we've talked about that. But um, you know, from the from the little list that you've given me here, um, there's uh, someone said, as a person with ADHD, can you give me advice for expectations in NRE, new relationship energy, um, or chasing dopamine? Um, now I don't have ADHD. Well, at least I don't think I do. Maybe who knows? <laughs> There's so much yeah. comorbidity <laughs> at this point. Like, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, because I think that. Uh, there, there is, there is like a very real issue in the polyamorous community, and I don't mean, and I, I, I don't think this is just restricted to people with ADHD, um, mm-hmm. where like people are constantly chasing like the honeymoon phase, like they're constantly chasing that high, and then so they have like a lot of short-term connections, um, where you know, like as soon as like the, the passion dies, like they move on to the next person, and while mm-hmm. that can be fine if that's like negotiated from the start, you're like, you're like, you know, this is kind of this just how I operate, and it's like, okay, like whatever's kind of consensually agreed to between parties not my business right but then if you're in a situation where like someone has expectations something long term and then you just get bored of them three months in then that can create like a lot of issues you can hurt a lot of people um so um yeah so i i kind of love to hear from you you know whether you have any kind of personal anecdotes to share like whether in your own life or you know from other people that you've met or seen um about um kind of managing uh new relationship energy like as a person with adhd and kind of what you think about like this kind of chasing high like chasing dopamine yeah um it it definitely affects 
you know, every human, but I think it's just like completely heightened because there's this tendency to build story. There's this tendency to sort of like really look down, like this is where we're going to live. This is where, you know, this is our, how our wedding's going to look like. Uh, I found that, especially with my journey with Jess from Remodeled Love is something that we made sure to document because it's something that we both do very often in relationships when we start them uh, in a new way. Um, mm -hmm is to really, really, really slow down because our brains are going a mile a minute when we're getting hit with those happy chemicals. And it's, it's, really, it's really important to just ask, like, is this the story I'm building or is this an actual connection that we are building? Like, is this actual a vibe that is real or is it just something that it's spinning up in my head and then it's spinning up in their head and then it's playing off of each other? That happens so often to me. Mm, um, mm. And it's sort of, uh, I, I, I thought for, for, for a while, I thought it was just because I was polyamorous. I, for a while, I just thought this is how polyamorous people work. Uh, mm -hmm. they, just, they just have this new relationship and I just keep chasing. And I really thought that because that's how my brain worked. But I, until I connected to 20 neurodivergence, it made a lot of sense that my brain sort of puts those two together it gives me more opportunities to chase um something that jess uh, talks about a lot is a uh, downshift in a relationship so like mm -hmm. um she we were in my car my car's a stick shift and she sort of compared it to like uh don't just drop someone off the face of your life just like you there's a there's a gentle process for you to like downshift into a lower gear say like i want to slow down in this way I, I want like to make this boundary so I can have a little more time to figure out if this is right for us, right for mm -hmm. me, right for you. Uh, and that was a really good metaphor to just um, hit the brakes a little, downshift, go into mm -hmm. a different gear, go into a different speed. Uh, for me, that metaphor really hit really hard. That makes a lot of sense. Don't just completely say, I'm done with you. I'm on to the next new shiny thing. Um, mm -hmm. Be kind to the people that you're uh, in a relationship with. That's yeah. aside from like abuse or like something you have to get away from ghosting people for a good reason, of course. But yeah, nuance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, you, you know, like, like, because I, you know, I've definitely kind of had experiences with people who, um, you know, were kind of looking for high um, and I didn't know and I was very much blindsided. And then suddenly when things were like switched up, like, like it was very shocking to me um so you know like actually like that you know earlier when I told you about that person who uh, sent me that rose emoji and was like you know let's go out for a drink whenever you're ready you know that was like such a promising connection um but then like that kind of end, ended up in like ended up ended very abruptly uh basically a month after we first met um because you know we started out as like a very passionate connection um you know he was saying like all kinds of like things and I think we were kind of feeding off of feet, like mirroring each other and kind of building up and up and up and up. And then I think, I think at some point, you know, he like realized that he had gotten in like way, you know, something more serious than he was intending um, and very abruptly pulled away. You know, it like went from like one day he was like, you know, I want, like, I want to meet up with you once every week. And like, I want you to be, you know, I want us to build towards being like boyfriend, girlfriend, like here's like the relationship and the key diagram. And like, I filled in all the things that like, we would like, I would like for, for us to build in our connection together. And then like literally five days later, he was like, I don't want to meet up with you unless like we can have a threesome. Mm. Yeah. And it was like, and that hot and cold was like, it, it was emotional whiplash. Mm. <laughs> I felt it too. Oh, <laughs> um, and so it was just very much like, like what, what were all these things <laughs> that you said? Yeah. Just, <laughs> um, and you know, like, so I, I mean, I, I don't know if there was like, a, there was kind of a bit of uh, anxious avoidant stuff like going on there as well, mm. because um, you know, I, I think not to go too much into it but like I from our second date like we had like a, a bit of a vulnerable moment and like he had told me about some of his childhood trauma um and there was a lot of it um and I know yeah. that with people for people who have histories of trauma like it's you know you build like a disorganized um anxious avoid uh, anxious avoidant, avoidant yeah. attachment style right like where mm -hmm. you know you 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 kind of rev the you kind of like rev the engine you go like all in and then suddenly you're like oh fuck this is too much and then you you're like all out again 
um, and you kind of vacillate between the two like wildly and that can be very dysregulating for everyone else involved and Absolutely. so I think there was like an element of that in there as well um, so it wasn't just kind of like ADHD or um, or you know it might have been that as well but you know um, and so yeah like you know I completely get like what uh, like what you mean you're being honest about like you know this is kind of where like my body is at right now like when my brain is telling me but like you know I know that this is like an unhealthy pattern or whatever and so you know we can kind of work together with this um then you know you can kind of you know you can be open and honest with each other rather than just going like nope <laughs> I'm out of yeah. here um, <laughs> um so so yeah like I think building expectations is really important right at the, at the mm -hmm. start you know like knowing like kind of what your tendencies are um and I think like you and Jess have like modeled a really great example of like you know checking in with each other and not trying to build story and being conscious of like you know like the patterns um that kind of your neurodivergent brains um are building or like what mm. your uh mm. like kind of what your impulses are telling you that are perhaps like unwise to follow right um and then you know you slow it down and then you're able to um kind of build something that you know feels like you know embers in a fire rather than like a firework that goes like woof um yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's incredibly healing to yeah. just be able to say because to be able to build this sort of foundation relationship sort of like is very kind to my past selves you know mm -hmm. who did it very poorly in the other relationships and so yes yeah. it's, it's such a great experience too yeah no for way. sure for sure um and i think uh, so moving on to another question that you got from a follower um suggestions for a neurodivergent partner to best support or relate to them now um so i know that like as you said like uh you know as a neurodivergent people a person you can just by like talking about your special interests like you kind of just attract other <laughs> neurodivergency <laughs> like a beacon yeah. right uh -huh. and uh you know uh, and I do think that like a lot of my partners like are also neurodivergent um but my ag partner is the exception um but that's because he grew up with a neurodivergent mother and sister so even mm. though he I'm pretty sure he isn't neurodivergent himself he definitely um is used to like you know like relating to people who are um, which is why yeah. we fit together so well right um but yeah like what um you know as a neurodivergent person um you know what would you say to like a neurotypical um individual um on kind of how you would feel best supported in a relationship and kind of what you would need um uh, to feel like i guess like safe or secure or, like cared for yeah um this is a really good question because it's mm -hmm. sort of from a neurodivergent standpoint, there, there's patterns, there's like things that you see um, mm. that I, neurotypical people just don't. Um, yeah. There are little ticks, there are little sayings. Um, I have a partner who is very sensitive to laughing, right? Where we're in public or in any space, or even when they hear it on the TV, if they hear laughing, they assume it's about them, right? Oh. And it's sort of like, you, you sort of pay attention to those things because they ask things like, oh, why are you laughing? Like, I don't know why you're laughing. Can you tell me why you're laughing? Or like, why are those people laughing? There's sort of little things like that that you pay attention to. And you, it, it's it's really easy to say, what are you talking about? Like, no one is talking about you. Like, that's what the neurotypical normal thing is to, to react in that way. Like, it's not a big deal. They're not laughing at you. But to a neurodivergent person, that's incredibly hurtful. Uh, it's it's so important for you to just accept that that's how they feel when they hear something like that. Uh, it's so important for you to say, hey, um, I was laughing because of this reason. And, you know, if you thought it was because of you, it had nothing to do with you, just to reassure. Um, mm -hmm. When a neurodivergent person is a little more aware of their those patterns and tics, they can sort of communicate it. Like, I hate pranks. Don't scare me. I say that to mm -hmm. every partner that I have. Don't hide behind the door and like go, ha, ah, like when I come in like that is like incredibly, it's always on my, in my head because my brothers and sisters did that to me all the time and it scares the shit out of me. So that kind of thing, <laughs> like to be able to communicate it, like listen to those things. They're not saying it for no reason. Like these are real, real things in our brain that like tell us all these things about what can happen if these mm. things happen in our life. And so listening to what they tell you, uh, picking up on patterns. I mean, for me, it, it just comes naturally. For me, it's like a video game. It's like, it's like, oh, okay, write notes, uh, jot notes down on this person, jot notes down on this person. But for a neurotypical person, I can see why like, it's hard to pay attention to these sort of things. Um, and that's, those are really mild cases. It goes into very severe cases as well. But these are the more mild cases that I know of. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and i think also like it's important to note as well that like there's a very high correlation between neurodivergent people and people with uh trauma um and i think that's no accident you know i think you know some people could argue it's a chicken and egg situation right like but um i do think that if you're neurodivergent particularly if you're autistic uh you know you're very susceptible to manipulation you're very susceptible to narcissism um like as not not being a narcissist about like being manipulated by narcissists um and just you know just <laughs> like I like I was bullied basically all throughout my like my school days um yeah. and you know like I always kind of um and like from that like I I developed like a very very deep fear of being misunderstood because like I was constantly misinterpreting other people they were constantly misinterpreting me I often felt right. the need to over explain myself in situations like when like uh like people like I felt that people didn't 100% understand me and therefore like you know expose like a lot of personal vulnerabilities that like were put in the wrong hands right um and that creates trauma right and so uh you know like what you said you know about your your partner who's very uh like he's very sensitive to people laughing um like uh, you know like that i think that is like a trauma wound as well like and i i don't think that it's a coincidence that like those two like are related because you know um i've definitely you know personally growing up been in many situations where i like i i did not know that i was the butt of a joke you know, I'd have people like coming up to me, uh, pretending to be nice to me, like pretending, you know, like and like listening to like all the, uh, you know, my, my, my special interests at the time and going like, oh my God, yeah, like that's so interesting because they were smiling. I thought that they were friends with me. And what right. I didn't know was that they were going back to their friends going like, oh my God, did you see the way Leanne reacted that? She is so dumb, like, you know? Um, and so, and I would not know, you know? So, and I would, and I like the, um, like the feeling you get or you know later when the other shoe drops and you realize that like you have been the butt of a joke for months um and you've been being manipulated for months so you know that 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 does shit to you you know yeah. um so like I, in a way you know i can definitely while i don't have the same trigger to laughing that your partner does i can completely see where it would come from but for um, your for your yeah. trigger of being misunderstood though it like it helps if, if you're saying something and somebody says something like hey i didn't understand this can you clarify this like it helps yeah part of it for them to say that because you don't want to be misunderstood right yeah absolutely like, yeah no it, things it can do yeah yeah like it has pros and cons right but um i think it's important to be sensitive to these things and if people like ask a question like rather than going like like that's a stupid question like what why right. are you asking to be like to be like oh um yeah you know like um like we were laughing because of this reason or like oh um you know i like i was being i was being serious or like oh that was sarcasm um you know like uh if, if you missed it like you know it was it was sarcasm uh yeah. rather like i hate it when you know uh, i can't tell if someone is joking or not and then i ask them if they're joking or not and then they 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 turn that into a joke in itself and i'm just even yeah. more confused <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so so yeah you know like i think there are a lot of different things and um uh, there's definitely like more room there's uh, in the polyamorous community for neurodivergent people to speak out about like how they best feel supported and kind of you know being kind of more trauma informed generally I think that mm -hmm. uh, that's something that the polyamorous community definitely misses like a lot of the mainstream polyamory books assume that like you have no childhood trauma um, and you have like fairly secure attachment and then it's just like read a book and all your insecurities <laughs> will disappear and it's like that's not how it works <laughs> um, yeah which is why I think a voice like yours is so important, uh, like Albert, because, you know, firstly, there aren't, there aren't many um, polyamorous men who are like openly uh, like talking about their journeys, like on Instagram or otherwise, um, and uh, kind of modeling like good examples of, you know, kind of unlearning like toxic masculinity and all that kind of stuff. And um, although I understand that you like identify as like somewhere between like man or non-binary, um, it's funny because I identify somewhere between women and non-binary. <laughs> Um, and I wonder if that's also neurodivergent stuff as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and I think um, as, you know, from, from one agent to another as well, like it's like, it's important to like talk about, um, you know, the intersections of polyamory and race, which is a cover, which is a topic that I intend to cover a little bit more like on my platform. Um, Cause I've been weirdly silent on the issues uh, thus far. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, and I think like these, these perspectives, these unique perspectives, like overall kind of contribute to like more understanding and, uh, and uh, you know, communication and acceptance like of the community as a whole. So I think, um, we, yeah. I think we have enough content creators to make like a, a summit just about Asian and polyamory, yes. right? Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um you know like I 
like I, I guess you know I was averse to it before because I didn't want to like just be like the Chinese polyamorous person or like make my platform all about like me being like Chinese and your adventure but you know um and I didn't want to make that like a whole thing right because right. I, I wanted to be recognized as just like just another kind of regular polyamorous person um but I also reckon these days I recognize the value of telling more personal stories um and right. perhaps kind of you know speaking from uh viewpoints that uh don't reflect the mainstream right so right. you know there is value in that as well and um I'm kind of making more of an effort to like be a little bit more personal as like a as an individual um and talking about kind of the intersections of my identity and how they relate to each other um so yeah, yeah you know thank you so much for for the work that you do albert um and yeah, everyone well, thank you yeah <laughs> um are, do you have uh, any are you on any other social media platforms uh, other than instagram no okay so everyone follow albert at polyman answers um and i hope you enjoyed the talk um yep. yeah <laughs> thank you so much albert <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Poly Day series. If you'd like to support my work, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash polyphiliablog. You can also follow me at polyphiliablog, P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, buy my polyamory merch at polyphiliashop.redbubble.com, or book a peer support session with me on my website, polyphilia.blog. Until next time!